Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We mentioned this on last week's episode, but all eyes in the tennis world justifiably turned right now to Australia, where our first major of the 2020 season is coming to a close. It's going to be a really fun, action-packed weekend of Grand Slam semifinals and finals. And of course, if you want to catch up on any of the Australian Open action, be sure to go check out our mini break podcast, where each and every day we have a recap of of the day's action, a preview of the nights, uh, the matches you are going to see. Uh, with that in mind, there is always so much going on in the tennis world. It's the futures challengers level. It's the junior circuit. You know the deal by now, and we try to keep you listeners up to date on all things in the tennis world. The big event of last weekend, the ITA kickoff weekend, both the men's and women's. Uh, it's 15 regions of four teams, so 60 teams in action on both sides, looking for those 15 qualifying spots for the ITA national indoor uh, championships. Chris and I are going to be fortunate enough to be there this year, be on the play-by-play call for the Court 1 matches. That's going to be a really fun experience, I'm sure. We will talk plenty more about in the near future, Uh, but we want to recap the kickoff action. We're going to be recapping the men's side tonight. There's a ton of upsets, a ton of, you know, close calls, all those usual takeaways. We'll be recapping the women's side later in the week as well, and join me tonight to do just that on the Great Shot podcast. Uh, Our first guest, you know, him as a writer at our website, CrackRackets.com. He is a former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net. I affectionately refer to him as Matty Crackstakoyak. Matty, hey, great shot, and welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Doing great, man. Uh, kickoff weekend was awesome. I mean, I, I only have so many screens, though, to, to stream these matches. So, <laughs> I mean, I got a computer, got a tablet. You know, there, there's only so much to go around, but uh, I was able to manage. And, yeah, man, kickoff weekend, it, it, for me, it always just feels like really – the true start of the dual match season. So I'm, I'm pumped, man. It was a great weekend. You're absolutely right about the tab conundrum, and I always like to separate it. It'll be four tabs per internet flight. I'll go by match or whatever. I'll have, you know, all the different singles flights for one match. So TCU region, one thing. You know, the Baylor here, the Florida here, the uh, Mississippi State there. And I have to say, I enjoyed the way it was paced out this weekend. I was trying to follow along with the Australian Open as well, but it was guaranteed that I had some tennis to watch, you know, at all hours, Friday through Sunday. Yep. And that made for a great weekend of tennis viewing. One person who I know was keeping up with each and every match due to his active Twitter feed. You know him as the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula. Predictions never far from the listed UTR and one of the many dames who now roots for the Liberty Flames. Chris Halioris, hey, great shot. How was your weekend of viewing? Oh, I mean, it was great. Obviously, got to see some college tennis uh, live and in person, and uh, you know, and and some not live, but and in person, but still got to watch. Uh, you know, had a, had a nice drive to and fro, so plenty of time to uh, you know do a little watching tennis while I'm driving. That's always safe, but uh, you know. <laughs> I think if the police had any interest in listening to this podcast, they would be very easily able to have found three people who are almost certainly on some form of play site stream while driving this weekend. And so, yeah, I I think we can all relate to that uh, thing. Not that we endorse that here at the Great Shot Podcast. We encourage you to drive safely if you have a podcast to prepare for. Just space things out better than I guess we do here. But, yeah, you are in Starkville. Uh, I know Matt and I felt like we were in all of these regions due to the live streaming capabilities of so many of these sites and there's a lot of tennis to break down we could spend time talking about each and every of the 15 regions the implications the lineup decisions but that podcast would go in the two hour range instead what we're going to do i want to break down two regions in their entirety the two most interesting regions uh, by result one of them we knew was going to be spectacular the other one i think caught all of us by surprise i want to talk about those teams that by seed maybe produced an upset but it was something we all saw coming into it due to our kickoff podcast 
I want to talk about, again, the top seeds who just had the close calls, who barely avoided upsets. And then, of course, at the end, we'll talk about the top dogs and give our top five rankings heading into this National Indoor Championship stretch. Uh, Let's start where Chris was this weekend, in Starkville for the Mississippi State region. Now, in our ITA preview pod in our college contender pod when we discussed Mississippi State. We talked about this is a team that lost their Fab Four, uh, the heart of a lineup that made an NCAA quarterfinal that won back-to-back SEC postseason championships. Uh, That team is gone. Only two of the starters remaining. They brought back a a bunch of new players. And in the ITA kickoff draft, we saw schools target there early. The teams there this weekend, Oklahoma, Georgia, South Carolina, as well as Mississippi State. It was one we circled at as an event, you know, we knew was going to be one of the most fun regions that Chris was there is the cherry on top of everything. So I want to start with you, Chris, uh, before we, you know, ultimately South Carolina comes on top. And in the end, we saw a South Carolina team that not only knocks off Oklahoma, I believe in their first match, uh, fairly comfortably, I believe it was a 4-0 scoreline, but then in, they knock off a Georgia team 4-3. Uh, it comes down to the number one court, Paul Jubb, the defending NCAA singles champ, and this is an all-SEC match, obviously the implications for this one extending into the conference play as well. What were your takeaways from this region uh, after being there all weekend long? Well, so I, lots of takeaways on the good side and the bad, right? So South Carolina, South Carolina, obviously, really good. We knew they were really good up top. Uh, we, we were questioning five and six, and I think that, that, uh, that match ultimately against Georgia – to me, even though it was decided in the end in a three-all match on court one, the match was decided on court five. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, Trent Bride did great to take a first set off Paul Jubb. Uh, you know, Jubby splits and then kind of runs away in the third. Uh, I felt like, and I still feel like, that if, for Georgia to win that match, their their secret was doubles five, six, and find one more, right? And And they found another one. They just didn't get five. Uh, and and had had Loeb been able to take care of business on court five, he actually goes down two five in the second after losing the first, gets it back to five all, forces a breaker. I knew what the the top three for South Carolina were. Connor Thompson, the freshman at four, had not seen him uh, before. He looked really really good. I mean, he really took care of business on the first day against Oklahoma, against Martinez. I, I can't even remember what it was. It was like 0-2, 2-0, I, something along those lines. Um, he, he looked absolutely fantastic. Uh, and, and then, uh, you know, Georgia, I think the good news to me for Georgia is – Wait, real, real quick, Chris, because I, I want to talk about all of those schools. Let's start with South Carolina um, because you mentioned it there and – in terms of them for the weekend, I think the big takeaway, despite the fact that they ended up dropping that doubles point to Georgia, it's that in both matches, the core of their wins came from the three, four, five singles positions. And how often do we talk about its depth that differentiates the best college teams uh, from the rest? Everyone's got a good one singles in South Carolina and Paul Jubb, but they've got as good as anyone. They've also got the number 21 player in the country, Daniel Rodriguez, at the two position. He takes a loss to Phil Henry in the Georgia match, uh, and he was down a set to Oklahoma, but up a break in the second. I think that's the big takeaway, Matt, is that this South Carolina team, it's not just the flashy name up top, but it's that they've got a ton of depth to match that as well. Yeah, I I don't know about a ton of depth, but they have some depth, and and that's why I picked them to win this this, uh, site. I I had a feeling South Carolina was going to come out of here and you know, obviously, when you've got a guy like Job, you just have to find a few more pieces to fill in. And like Chris mentioned, Connor Thompson for a freshman is really, really good. I saw him play several times uh, this past fall. He actually played my brother Nick and, and beat him uh, in a really close two-set match. He was serving and volleying, really mixing it up well. He's got kind of a different game than than what we see uh, a lot of times in college tennis. So I think if he continues to play number four. He's going to win a ton of matches for South Carolina. Um, But especially, like you mentioned, Alex, court five was a big one. You know, in both matches, for Philip Jordan to come up like that, um, that's something that I didn't really expect. And so if they can rely on him, this team is, I mean, in the SEC, they're, they're right up there, you know, towards the top. 
And this was a South Carolina team, Chris, that uh, gave a lot of teams last year everything they can handle. I mentioned it repeatedly, but that match they played against Virginia uh, was as close of, I think, a 4-1 decision as you'll find. And so you look at what they achieved this opening weekend. I don't think anyone's jumping and throwing them into national title conversation, but with the continuity they have in their lineup, would it surprise you to see them certainly competing uh, at the top of the SEC, but also maybe uh, potentially earning a top eight seed and hosting a, a potential round of 16 match for themselves? I think that's that's prob- that's got to be the goal. I mean, they're, they're, they're able to be in that mix for sure. Uh, they're, they're right there with a, a big group of of teams that are going to be battling in that, you know, six, seven, eight, you know, six through 12 ish say range, uh, I, I think is, is right where, right where they're going to be at. But you know, there's, there's no doubt. I think from what I saw this weekend seeing to me, I still think, you know, to, to Matt's point, I wouldn't say a ton of depth, but I thought they were going to be, I, I thought they were going to have to do a little work at five and six. Philip Jordan showed me a lot at five. I think it's really just six um, where, you know, they'll they'll have choices to make and they've got options to play there. But I think they're going to be solid through five. And, and that's going to be that's going to be huge for them. And yeah, absolutely. They, they'll be able to compete with anybody in the SEC. And it's going to be really fun to see them compete at the National Indoors. I think it's the first time the program has made it there since 2006 before the ITA uh, even sponsored the event. So, you know, shout out to that team, and we look forward to seeing them in Madison. All right, let's move to our next region. And, you know, it would have been too obvious had I started with this one, but this was probably the most chaotic region of any we saw throughout this kickoff weekend, men's or women's. I, of course, am referring to the action in Champaign, Illinois, as Illinois played host to the Ole Miss uh, Rebels. They played host to the Texas Tech Red Raiders, and of course, they played host to my University of Michigan Wolverines. Now, going into the weekend, I believe Chris was kind enough in our preview pod to put that as a toss-up, almost out of deference to me. Uh, He obviously respects me quite a bit. It's a one-way street, so I understand why he would feel that way. I think he knows why it's not mutual. Um, But no, I, I respected that move from him, of course, and Matt Stachowiak does not have that sort of filter. He called Illinois definitively, and this is me doing my Matt impression, it's a lock, and it was not a lock. What a weekend we saw Illinois going out 4-3 in the first match to Ole Miss, uh, Michigan, surviving in a third set breaker, 7-6 at five singles, Nick Beattie getting the win there for Michigan to advance over Texas Tech, and then Michigan comes down to another third set breaker, the freshman Andre Styler, a former top 15 ITF junior in the world, uh, gets the win in the end. I believe he knocked out Finn Reynolds for Ole Miss. Again, 7-6 in the third there, 7-4 in the breaker. Styler served for the match, I think at 5-4, got broken. Uh, ultimately, Reynolds then held again. Styler had to serve to extend it to a breaker. He does that, comfortable in the tie break. I don't know which one of you wants to go first, but I definitely know I shouldn't. So I'll go to you first, Chris. Not even the Michigan losing aspect, but Ole Miss showing out as well as it did. The level, the parity between these four teams. Did you expect to see the region be this close? Not at all. I mean, I, I, like I had said, I, I gave Michigan a shot against Illinois. I gave Ole Miss no chance against Illinois. Uh, and so for Ole Miss to go in there and do what they did, to Illinois and then almost uh, pull it off against Michigan is, I mean, that's big for them. They're, uh, you know, they're picked to be one of one of the bottom end of the SEC coming in. Uh, and, and they just had, I mean, that's a great weekend for them. If they can keep that up, that, that speaks uh, volumes and a lot of good things for them. So, uh, you know, I, I just, that, that was very, very shocking. And then, you know, when it, coming down to the Ole Miss, uh, Michigan final, you know, I, I was in Starkville and after, after the match on Saturday, I had, you know, like I always do when, when I'm there straight to Starbucks to sit on the computer and watch tennis that's going on everywhere else the rest of the night. And, uh, and so I was, I was tuned into that, that match and, you know, texting everybody and their brother, including the two of you going, this is crazy. I still have to believe the whole time I said, Styler is going to win this match. The aggression will win out. 
And I, I think I just kept saying it to try to convince myself because I couldn't believe that he was, you know, he just couldn't, couldn't get away. Fit Reynolds was play counterpunching tremendously, but Styler just, you know, that, that get to the net, take control, dictate the point. You had to feel like indoors, eventually it was going to win out. Uh, and you know, it did, but it took a third set breaker and to have, Third set breakers on the first day and the second day in that region. I mean, by far, you know, the most competitive top to bottom region that we had. You look for this Ole Miss team only at the top of the lineup. Tim Sandcolin, who's a top 40 player in the nation. Uh, he's the only senior on the roster. And for them to get the doubles point in Illinois, uh, for them to get wins at the bottom of the lineup there, it's like you said, that was always your concern for Illinois. And they got a win from a freshman in Lucas Englehart at five singles. They got themselves another 7-6 in the third set win uh, from the sophomore Simon Junk uh, at at six singles. Finn Reynolds comes through with a third set win in the first match, unable to do that against Sut Styler in the second. Uh, but let me just say, Chris, uh, having been on the receiving end of that fleet of texts, you gave us a play-by-play as if you assumed Matt and I weren't watching. As in, we were, you know, you know, we were definitely watching, Chris, and you just. Get, sent us a recap of the point anyway, just in case, like, maybe the stream went out. And, you know, I can say I really appreciated it. I figured it. you were, like, you, you were too nervous to even watch. Uh, I, I, you know, <laughs> I, I saw that, for, you know, in, in action in Ann Arbor. I figured you stood up, walked away from the TV, from the computer, and, you know, just, just couldn't take it. So I, I thought I'd keep you updated. Yeah, I, I mean, this is news that will come uh, later to podcast listeners when we announce it, but there are some changes going on in my life. I was hanging out with my friends who I hadn't seen in a while, uh, and I was just, they were like, you know, we may not, we don't know when, because I'm going on the road for some trips and stuff, and they are like, we're not sure we're going to hang out again, and I was like, I know we're supposed to hang out tonight, guys, but Michigan's playing, and I wouldn't normally do this, but if they win, they're going to the indoors, and Chris and I will be there, and I need to watch this. So I pulled it up on my phone. We were uh, playing some 21-plus video games, uh, or at least, you know, as a, a pregame, and uh, I had my phone just set up, and I was going crazy, and it was absolutely delightful. Matt, uh, I could go on a rant forever about this Michigan team, but what do you say to this? Possible or Alex, I'm effing crazy. Regardless of what you think about the singles, Michigan will have— uh, success with the doubles point, I think, throughout the year. I think they have something in Styler and Fenty, and then in Connor Johnson, who may be the single best doubles player in the lineup, he and Beattie at two seem to really have, or he and Styler at two, excuse me, that's a very talented team. Yeah, no, possible, for sure. It's it's definitely possible. I, I think Michigan plays uh, very good doubles, um, and, and they will have success with that throughout the year, but I just, I have to say, guys, I mean, I was, I have to apologize to Ole Miss because I completely, I gave them no chance. Like Chris mentioned, um, you know, I said Illinois was a lock. I was way wrong. I have to admit it. Um, and, and it's tough because I really did think they were going to roll through this um, and, and they did not. So, um, you know, credit to Ole Miss, credit to Michigan. They were able to come in there, you know, to Champaign and get it done. Um, but that being said, I still, you know, as good as Michigan plays doubles, I just, I, I don't trust them. You know, when they go to Madison and, and play the national indoors, I don't see them having much success. I just don't. I mean, they barely squeak by Texas Tech. They barely squeak by Ole Miss. The, the competition that they're going to play there in, in Madison is going to be way higher. Um, so, you know, regardless of how they do in the doubles, I just think, in singles, it's going to be a rough go of it. And, and they were able to do it. Credit to them. They did what they needed to do. But, man, I mean, they're going to be playing some really, really good teams. Um, and I, I still think it's going to be tough. So I agree with you, Matt, that Ole Miss's success is probably the takeaway from this region, that they competed at the level they did. None of us expected that. Yep. For this Michigan team, here's where I would leave it right now. I think Matthias Seymour, with another two wins this weekend, has looked as good as any player in the country, and I don't say that lightly. I think he's a, a liable to compete for any win at the two-singles position. I think Styler, who we we saw play that third-set match, come through in that sort of moment after you know failing to do so in 
the match against NC State. Uh, no one can deny Andre Styler's talent, particularly indoors. So I think at a three singles position, he can compete with anyone. You add that to the doubles point, and that's three points. But now when you're at the national indoors, you know, three points isn't enough. You have to find that fourth point. And Fenty is really good, uh, but he's still young. He's still a sophomore. And at five and six, and even the four singles position, we're still sort of figuring things out, which is fine because it's really early in the year. And I'm sorry for saying we. I should have said Michigan. Um, And Michigan's still figuring things out. And there's plenty of season for them to figure out that bottom of the lineup. Uh, But... Yeah, when you're competing with the top 16 teams in the country, that's where things get tough. So I guess, Chris, your final thoughts on this region. Well, and Chris, we Chris, on. let me just say one more thing, and I think you'll agree with me on this. But Gruskin, I mean, I know Seymour and Styler are really good players, but they, but you're kind of counting them as locks. Like you're saying with doubles in two and three, that's three points. I don't think Seymour uh, and Styler are locks really against any of those teams that they're going to play at indoors. You know what I mean? So you're correct, and I didn't mean to imply that. I don't mean locks. I mean I think they're competitive, competitive with Competitive, right. And so, yeah, and so your uh, your path to three points in a best-case scenario is what I meant is there. If you play your best tennis, absolute best tennis, in doubles, in two singles, in three singles, there's a position for you to get to three points. It's where everything else comes to that, you know, that's where I'm saying things are tricky for this team, and it's why, you know, they're probably not in that top, compete for a top eight seed range. Yeah, go ahead. What? What he left out, Matt, was he, he, he said all of that, and then he meant in the Big Ten. Then, then it was okay. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Outside of the Big Ten, yeah. When they go to indoors, absolutely not. I mean, look, they're going to be behind Wisconsin. They will be the, they'll be the 15 seed, right? I mean, that in all likelihood, uh, you know, the, potentially they could be 14, Um you know, between NC State and them, probably 14, 15. I think NC State will be 14. They're probably the 15 seed. So, you know, the first match certainly isn't going to be easy. They're going to draw the two seed, whoever that is, right? I mean, obviously, you're not going to get a lot. You're not going to be anywhere close to a lock at, at two and three. You're going to be underdogs no matter what at two and three right. playing the number two team in the country, whoever that happens to be. Uh, but, but no, they. I mean, I do think I'm, I'm with Alex. They, they look to me. They can compete with anyone in doubles, and Ohio State included, who's probably you know the team that you got to look to as you know hit traditionally and even this year playing well again, one of the best certainly indoors doubles teams out there. Uh, I think they'll compete with anybody in doubles, but then it'll be a matter of yeah, they've got to go find some of those singles wins. But yeah, I mean, I, they could they can be a dangerous team. Two responses to that, and then we can move on from this region. One, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Ole Miss, SEC, Texas Tech, Big 12. I didn't know those were both Big 10 teams, Chris. Uh, but part two to that. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. No, 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 stop. Oh, you're, you're picking one of the bottom three or four from the SEC and the bottom two from the Big 12. <laughs> Uh, I'm just saying. No, I'm just saying that uh, they didn't. And honestly, it, it, no, it was a really good result for this Michigan team. Um, again, it, the irony, this is my second point, the irony of after all offseason, you're saying, congrats, Wisconsin, you get to play Florida round one. If it's Michigan who ends up playing Florida, wouldn't that be kind of sweet? <laughs> oh, yes. I bet that would be good. Then I would have sincere interest in your Wolverines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and by the way, for that uh, Illinois team, they did bounce back, knock off Texas Tech four one. I wanted to say as well, and we didn't mention this. I want to sneak this back in. Westoff, give me a brief rewind sound effect, please. Because we didn't talk about Georgia, and I do think Georgia was a takeaway from that Mississippi State region. Uh, but for the Georgia team, they take two doubles points in their matches, so that's something for them to build on moving forward. And it's still a young team. Bride, Henning, Zink, Gravilius, uh, Kreuter, all I think sophomores or younger, that they push this South Carolina team to the brink. It does bode well for them, right, Chris? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So they've got, I mean, a couple of things with them. One— Robert Lowe playing three doubles is a joke, okay? A joke. A joke. <laughs> now, I mean, he didn't look tremendous this weekend. I'll say that. and maybe, But still, he is, you know— He was number one in the country. Yes, he is a tremendous doubles player. So, so the fact that you can pair him up with somebody and stick him down, you know, 
and, and stick him down at three doubles is like, I mean, that that's just comfort right there. Now, the other thing is they're, they're going to be in the, the, the good and as far as Manny's concerned, what I would call the unenviable position of at some point uh, having to tell, and, and this is my opinion, having to tell Blake Kroger, sorry, you're not going to get to play after the tremendous fall you had, you're ranked top 100 in the nation, and Baptiste Anselmo, who has not yet cracked the lineup, much heralded junior, is going to make his way into the lineup. Uh, I think it's it's a it's a matter of you know some seasoning behind Kreuter and just the raw talent of Anselmo and Anselmo will get there and all of a sudden you know it'll be a step up for the team when he comes around to playing at, the, at that level but um, yeah they've got a they've got a pretty bright a pretty bright future there they look I mean they look really good a, across the board Zinc looked it was the first chance I got to see Zinc. He looked great. Henning, obviously, I've always been a big fan. Uh, you know, Bride looked really good. I mean, that that team does. They 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 look really good, and I think uh, I think they're gonna they're gonna surprise a lot of people. I mean, I don't know if they'll really surprise people, but I do. They will be they will be right up there in in the rankings come the end of the year. Question to both of you, Matt, then Chris. Second place, fa- your favorite right now, we're assuming Florida is going to come in first place. Your favorite right now for the team that finishes second in the SEC. Texas A&M. Oh, oh sorry, third. I apologize, third. third. I forgot Texas A&M. Third yeah. would be South Carolina for me. Chris? Yeah, agreed. I mean, I, I'm still rolling with A&M at, at two. Uh, South Carolina certainly to me looked the, the to the point where I think they I wasn't so sure ahead of time I think they can challenge South or uh, A&M for two but I will still still make the preseason favorites to be Florida one A&M two South Carolina three for the second straight year and I'm only 24 years old but it just doesn't feel right that A&M is not in the big 12 conference uh yeah, I you guys are probably right, but on talent, this Georgia team, it, you know, depth-wise is up there with the best of the best in the SEC except for maybe a step short of Florida. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a really fun conference. It's fun that Ole Miss is added to the Miss uh, mix. Another team you could throw in there, Tennessee, which is where I want to go to next because they were the host of one of these regions as well. And they were one of the seeds we've pictured as uh, we we circled, I should say, as a team on potential upset alert. And that's exactly what happened. The Columbia Lions going down there, knocking off Tennessee 4-2 uh, for Columbia. I think it's the fifth time in six years they've qualified for the indoors. I said this in the preview. It was a team Chris and I loved last year and a lot of the, the characters coming back from that team. The number six player in the country right now, Jack Lynn. Number 73, Jackie Tang. Uh, number 79, freshman Alex Coatson. Uh, Adam Ambrosi, Austin Huang. Uh, this is a veteran lace team. They got two doubles points. They have the number three team in the country in Tang and Lynn at the top of that doubles lineup. Let's start with you this time, Matt. This Columbia team, they may end up as, you know, Chris mentioned, NC State and Michigan. Columbia ranking-wise probably going to be right in that grouping as well. Uh, but this is a dangerous team. Let's say they match up with like a Wake Forest. That's an upset alert. Yep, very dangerous. Didn't I tell you guys this on our on our kickoff pod last week? I said Columbia is going to go into Knoxville and win that match. Um, and, and they did. I saw this coming. They are a very sneaky good team, especially indoors. You know, I, we kind of forget about them, you know, because towards the end of the year, they're never as much of a factor outdoors. But always, it seems like at this time of the year, in the beginning, they're a bit of a factor. So um, I'm not shocked by this. I, I, I expected this to happen. Tennessee really kind of fell apart. Um, you know, if you want to be honest, though, I know Columbia won the doubles point, um, but Tennessee came out and won a bunch of first sets, um, five out of six to be exact. So um, it, rough match for them, but I just, I didn't trust this Tennessee team and it, it kind of showed why. Yeah. Chris, I, Matt's taking credit there. I think all three of us picked Columbia in that region. Chris so, did not. As we like no, to say. I, I took Tennessee. Chris, 
Oh, well then, hey, great shot to you and I, Matt. But Chris, your thoughts on seeing this? Because I don't think Tennessee underperformed by any means. You know, you look at how close these matches were. Adam Walton with a straight set win over Jacqueline at the top. That's reassuring given the matches he's going to have to play. But, you know, they went three sets at two singles, three singles, four singles, six singles, five singles was a 7-6-7-5 match. This was one of those deuce points decided. So I still think Tennessee maybe... Uh, No, I would still put them in that group with the South Carolina Georgias of the conference as, you know, maybe a tier below A&M in Florida, but still in the thick of things. Yeah, and that's that's where we had the SEC, right? We had the top two and then a group of three in South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee. And I think I think the I still think that's the case. But I think the the ordering of them in in being South Carolina, then Georgia, then Tennessee is kind of the way it looks coming out of this weekend. But, yeah, as as Matt said, you know, they disappointing to, to be put in the position they were where even though they lost the doubles point, they win five first sets. They look like they're, you know, they're rolling along pretty well. They get the straight set wins on on one and five, um, but two, three, four, six, all go three, and they don't get any of them. Uh, well, you know, obviously one of them went unfinished, but the other, uh, the other three, three setters, all went uh, to Columbia either six three or six four in the third. So, uh, you know, it's it's really thin margins, right? I mean, you know, being that close, you could play the match again tomorrow, and it could be you know four one the other way. Uh, you know, that's that's just the way it goes. But you know, you gotta you gotta close out the tight ones if that's where you want to be. And and Tennessee couldn't do it, and and they were the home team, so. Um, I think that definitely a little disappointing, but at the same time, they know they played a really good team, uh, and that, and they're right there probably, you know, where they thought, you know, obviously they would have wanted to win, but they're right there playing with, with those guys at, at the level that I certainly expected them to be. So I don't, I don't think it's too big a, uh, you know, too big a, a loss for them. It's a good, it's a little disappointing not to get the extra matches against the good teams indoors. Uh, but, but they'll be fine. But yeah, Columbia's, you know, what we expected out of Columbia. Very good team. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Yeah, I, I would say the reason, again, this wasn't a breakdown, but just an upset by seed is because Columbia, Tennessee, in the same group of teams that will be competing to be those 16 regional hosts come NCAA tournament time. Another one of those upsets by seed only when we all had circled on upset alert. Uh, number 17, NC State goes into Virginia, knocks off, which the team by ITA ranking was number 23 into this one, have, having lost to Louisville uh, early in the season. And NC State takes care of business. They win the doubles point, get wins from the two and three position, and then get wins at the top with Alexis Galarno knocking off Carl Soderlin. You thought that might, you know, that had to be a point for UVA. So big win for Galarno. They get wins at three singles as well in straight sets from Barkai. And then at six singles from Katri. I mean, this was one we all had circled. But to see it go down in this fashion, Matt, you're the ACC guy. What does this do for you in terms of your thinking heading into conference play? Yeah, I mean, it's going to adjust it even more. So after Virginia lost to Louisville, I was, I mean, that's high alert that, that something could be wrong with this team. And now to lose at home with the spot in national indoors on the line. Um, this Virginia team is really, really disappointing. They're, they're just flat out. They're not good this year. That's, that's the bottom line. I mean, Gianni Ross at number three, that's got to be a win. You know, I've watched Yanai Barkai, tricky lefty player, but man, Gianni Ross was a highly touted recruit. This guy's experienced. He traveled all over the world. He's got to win a match like that at number three and to go down four and one, highly disappointing. They're not deep. Um, Al Hekbani playing six is a bad case scenario for Coach Pedroso. Um, you know, Soderlund up top, obviously tough matchup with Alexi there. So I, I don't think that that's that big of a deal. But again, you know, they lose the doubles point badly. I mean, State wins 6-2 at court two, 6-1 on three. Oh, I mean, Virginia has a lot of work to do. 
Yeah, and not good is a stretch. They're not a top eight seed. No, not I think even we close. can all agree on that, certainly at this point. Yeah, and I I just think it's not fair. You know, to be a top twenty five team, which I don't think is a stretch. Soderlund, he didn't play against Louisville. You got you don't know how healthy he is right now. They are a young team, although in uh, Akbani, Woodall, Ross, Getz, Soderlund, those are all guys with playing experience. I mean, Chris, it's definitely concerning. Um, but on the flip side, for this NC State team now, they knock off Virginia. They've knocked off Michigan in Ann Arbor. This is a team that I think, you know, in ACC play, top three finish is certainly what they're shooting for. And they do have an inside shot at a top 16 seed. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that, that they are, they're definitely trying to eye a top 16 seed. On the flip side, Virginia, I, I don't see that happening. Um, nope. I, I don't think. I don't see how they're going to get a top 16 because these, I mean, first of all, the Louisville loss just from a points position is going to kill them come the end of the year. Uh, That's going to be very hard once the computer rankings come out and that loss is factored in. That's a rough loss to get over. Uh, It's just a, it's going to be a big deduction. So that, that's going to hurt. Uh, I don't see them getting a top 16. So uh, NC state though, absolutely. They're going to compete for for that and we say top three i i think in their mind that they're prob- they're battling for two for top two right i mean i think carolina if they're healthy you know, and healthy meaning blumberg and seguin are healthy then we're kind of we're writing that off as they've got the acc after that i don't i mean nc state i think is sitting there right now going yeah we we can play with wake i mean wakes too we just we just took down virginia who's supposed to be three so, you know, I, I think they're, they're, they're looking at trying to battle Wake for second. Yeah, well, you bring up Wake. Let's go there next and talk about our close calls because Wake was certainly a team that experienced just that. They were one we we both had on upset. I think all three of us had on upset alert. Certainly in Kentucky, they were playing a team that looked awfully impressive in their first week of play. Uh, they looked good in their first win as well, despite not playing Liam Draxel. Uh, Chris, I know you noticed that on Twitter, but then in this match, they had the full lineup. Draxel in, in singles and doubles. Uh, for Wake Forest, they didn't have Botzer in their first match, and they were surprisingly taken to uh, a close 4-2 result with ETSU, and that was sort of a foreshadowing of what to come. Wake Forest in this match of Kentucky drops the doubles point once again. They were trailing on all three point, uh, all, all three courts but ultimately lose 6-3 at both two and three doubles. Then for Kentucky, uh, you know, they only took one first set, and that was really the turning point for this Wake Forest team to have Botzer back up top, you know, Badi, Estafalu, Squire, Kungu, Banthia, all drop down one, and that Wake Forest was able to win those five first sets. Matt, again, you're the ACC guy. It was a reminder of, oh, okay, you know, Coach Bresky does have some depth in this year's squad. Maybe not the top-end talent, but certainly some depth. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think their doubles is a bit alarming, though. Um, I really do. I mean, I think they're going to have to figure out doubles. There's going to be some work to do there. And, you know, yes, they're solid throughout the lineup. I mean, you look at it, you go, eh, I mean, they're not really weak anywhere. They're solid throughout. But, you know, again, when we're putting them up there, you know, with those other top eight teams that we've talked about, I I think it's going to be tough. I mean, they're going to be in a lot of battles, and especially in the ACC, there's a lot of good teams this year. We've already mentioned, you know, the NC States, the Notre Dames, Florida State, Duke. Um, There's a lot of teams that that have depth as well. So um, contrary to the last couple of years where they were just so dominant, this will not be one of those years, and I think they're going to be in a a lot of battles. Yeah, Chris, it does seem like this team is going to start a lot of matches down 0-1, much like last year's team did in a lot of those indoor matches. That being said, you see the line of decisions Coach Bresky made. Body at 2, Squire at 4, Kungu at 5, and then Banthia at 6. I think we expected to see Estafalu and Botzer. uh, You know, Botzer certainly at 1, Estafalu in the top 3. But any decisions from Coach Bresky surprise you this weekend? Well, the only thing that I wasn't... uh... Not on, definitely not on Saturday. Uh, other than the fact that they sat Botzer, I talked to uh, to somebody that said, you know, he was still he was recovering from his last kind of grueling match and and then and some practice. But 
just needed the day off and something they thought was, you know, probably going to be a little easier than, than it ended up being. But uh, what surprised me was the fact that they played Eduardo Nava Saturday uh, and then sat him on Sunday. So, you know, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see when the matches, you know, especially when we get to indoors and I'm not, I'm not looking at their schedule right now to see what they've got prior to indoors. But, you know, when, when the, if that was just a, you know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't feeling great or he didn't look good and it was a coach's decision or, or what it was. But, you know, we both, when we talked to Coach Bresky, he had spoken very highly of him. So I wasn't surprised to see him at four, with which means really five because Botzer was out in the lineup on Saturday, but then pulled uh, on Sunday, which let uh, Kungu and Banthia continue to play five and six. Um, so I think that's something to watch. It's good. It means... They've, they've got an extra guy in the rotation, so they're they're definitely a solid seven, if not more deep. Um, but, yeah, I think I'll be watching to see kind of whether Nava's in the lineup when the tough matches come around or not. But they definitely showed – they showed well Sunday. You know, the, the Kentucky, they're, they're, playing, they're playing young, young guys up at the top of the lineup, right? Draxel and Diallo are, are freshmen at one and three, and I think Hurrion's a transfer. Um, so – you know, your top three guys are freshmen uh, or first year guys with the program anyway. And, you know, th- you're going to have days like that, and especially when you play a, a, t- a good team like like Wake. So I still think you know, and and they got a win out of one of their other freshmen down at five. And in, in so, you know, Cedric went out and got the Canadian connection over the summer here with Draxel, Diallo and LeBlanc all coming in. Uh, and those guys, the, the three of them have been looking very good so far. I think things look up for, for Kentucky. It, it puts them where they're, you know, they are probably looking like one of the leaders in the next group after the group of three we talked about. And the question is, can they break into that, that group? Like, can they, can they battle Tennessee, you know, for that five spot? I, I don't know, but they're definitely in the mix, you know, in that next pack uh, in the SEC now. Yeah, and for Wake Forest, you talked about uh, their schedule. Uh, they have a lot of fun matches planned between now and then. They play UCF at home. They go to Baylor. They have Virginia at home as well. Uh, we're actually going to preview the weekend matches ahead because there's also Michigan TCU this week, Texas, Ohio State this weekend. Lots of fun stuff on the horizon. Uh, but for now, let's stick to the ITA kickoff weekend. And, uh, I mean, Matt, any final thoughts on this Wake uh, region before we move on? No, I mean, I think uh, they, they got it done. But again, like we've been talking about, Kentucky is an improved team and, and one to keep an eye on throughout the year in the SEC. Yeah, and Wake Forest will remain on upset alert as they continue, I'm sure, into the national indoors draws, depending where things figure yep. out. Uh, you mentioned Louisville, Chris, uh, in terms of how they looked earlier in the, uh, in terms of knocking off Virginia. Louisville makes uh, the final in Baylor, where Baylor knocks them out 4-1. Once again, we see a Baylor team that does not have Jensen Brooksby in the lineup. Brooksby uh, not appearing in either singles or doubles this weekend. Soto playing one, Law playing two. So no boy 10 either, as it then went Dickerson, Bass, Fronson, and Northhaft. Northhaft, I apologize for butchering that pronunciation. Uh, But for Chris, you know, A, you gave this Louisville team a lot of slack. And I know they lost 4-1, but it was a really good showing for them this, you know, through these first two weeks of the season. But B, uh, you know, injury concerns aside, what have you learned about this Baylor team through their first couple of weeks? Well, first, Louisville's like, the luckiest team in the world. Okay. I mean, they, they play a Virginia they still team suck. with no Soderland, and then they play a Baylor team missing three of their top of their top four. Uh, I mean, come on. That's, yeah. They, they, they can come away feeling really good if that will help them think about themselves. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's not going to last. So, um, but, you know, Baylor, the, I do have legitimate concerns now uh, for Baylor based on what happened because uh, what I'm hearing is I, I don't know what the deal is with Brooksby. I haven't seen him, you know, anything to tell me that he's hurt or anything like that. But uh, but I I did hear that uh, that Garcia was seen running around in a boot and Boyton has an injury history and he, that even uh, Coach Bolin brought up when we talked to him. 
uh, that he had said, you know, at the beginning of the year, they had gotten all straightened out. But, you know, I think there may be some nagging injuries there. So um, if they've got, uh, you know, two of those top three guys uh, that with, with some injuries going, that definitely brings some some concerns on the Baylor front. They do still have a lot of guys that they can play. But as you saw, they're, they played like not half, you know, a, a, they played a, a freshman down there. Um, and he came through, but yeah, that was, it could have gotten, it could have gotten very interesting for them, uh, had they not turned, turned some of those matches around. I mean, they had to win three setters, no matter what they dropped four first sets, uh, after taking the doubles point. So, I mean, I, not to say that it wasn't interesting. It was interesting after doing that, because now, you know, you got to win a three set match to win, uh, which they did. And it, it, luckily for them, it never got too terribly close. But, uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, we'll see if they're healthy and what the deal is with Brooksby. I really hope we get to see Brooksby at indoors. Yeah, and, you know, to something Matt said about Wake Forest, there is something to this Baylor team of just surviving and advancing. That's all they really needed to do at this point. They know they have a couple of cards still to play on their bench. Uh, Matt, for this Baylor team, considering no Boyton, considering no Brooksby, that they were able to get the comfortable wins in doubles that they did, that Ryan Dickerson seems to be fitting in just fine on this Baylor roster. What have you learned about this team? Um. I, to be honest, guys, I haven't learned too much. Uh, yep. their, their competition was just not there. So we can't really – we can't say that we've learned a lot about them. And, and I do believe – I'm not going to be worried or concerned until we show up to indoors and this is the lineup that Bolin puts out there. If that's the case, then I'm very concerned. But I have a feeling Brooksby's going to show up there. Boland only wants to play him when he, when it's absolutely necessary – He's going to do that throughout the year, guys. I think we talked about that back when we did our college contenders pod on Baylor. Brooksby's not going to play every match. There's, there's just no question about it. He'll be there at indoors. And if Boynton and Garcia, you know, if they're healthy enough to play, then then I'm not worried. I'm feeling good about this Baylor team. Um, but again, just, yeah, I... just going back to this weekend, we, we can't say that we've really learned anything. No, I think that's a perfect summary. Uh, this is will be a team. I'm fascinated to see if Brooksby's playing against Wake Forest and try and shoot uh, Coach Boland or Coach Bresky a text, and we'll see if we can get some confirmation for them on what those lineups will be beforehand. Although, you know, with two old friends like that, they don't want to give either one of the people a hint. So maybe we'll say, hey, text me the lineups you're playing, and we'll just throw the other one off. Like for Boland, I'll say, yeah, yo, I heard Botcher's playing six. Like it's crazy, man. He's injured. Everyone else moved up a spot, and then we'll text like, yeah, man, Brooksby, apparently he's trying this left-handed thing. That's why he wanted to go to college. Like he's <laughs> not lining up. Bolin's just not happy with this process. We'll just throw them both off the scent entirely. Uh, but no, it was a semi-close call for Baylor in the sense that we were closely following uh, their lineups throughout the weekend. All right, two more teams I want to talk about in terms of close calls. Two we did not talk about on college contenders, uh, but two teams that had close finishes uh, for their matches this weekend. Those are two West Coast teams in Stanford and UCLA. Stanford winning over a Cal team 4-0, but you know, that's not indicative of how close the match was four of the matches going to three sets the three remaining unfinished Cal had a lead at four singles and a lead at six singles it was five four in the third at one singles uh meanwhile Stanford they get the doubles point straight set wins at two and three a five a three set win at five uh from Neil Rajesh uh Chris you know uh, so that's the Stanford side I guess let's start there Chris uh for this Stanford team I feel like they're ranking again. They're another team. They'll be right there in the hunt for a top 16 seed. Oh, yeah. They're a, they'll be a top 16 for sure. Uh, you know, I think their goal is higher than that. And, um, yeah, it's, yeah, that's, that's going to be, you know, a very, a right on the bubble, I would say for, for them. I, I didn't get, like you said, it, on paper, it looks great 4 0, but, uh, but that was not a that was not a 4-0 match. It was a very very tight tight match. Uh, and, and like you had had said in the preview, Cal's just one of those teams that you know we we never talk about them much because they're sitting there right behind and losing to USC, Stanford, and UCLA every year, and they're just they're just slightly behind them and above everybody else. And they're a very good team. Uh, but they uh, but yet again, as continues to be the case, they they just can't get over that hump and. And they couldn't do it. So, yeah, I mean, Stanford, I think that's kind of 
we didn't expect this to be a whitewash. It wasn't, uh, but we expected Stanford to win, uh, and they did. Yeah. Now, uh, Matt, uh, for Stanford, given their top three, Geller, Rothsard, Sundreed, Sridhar, all top 55 players for Geller, you know, he's not ranked right now, but we know how talented of a young man he is. You look at them, you look at this Cal team, you compare them, you know, obviously a tier lower than USC, who we have as potential national title contenders, but you look at what UCLA did against a UCF team for this UCLA team, uh, they end up taking the doubles point. Uh, Nanda and Smith get a win at one doubles, Pereira and Zaraj, 7-6 at three. Keegan Smith losing his singles match, but UCLA ends up getting three set wins from Nanda at two singles, from Ben Goldberg at four, and then a straight set win from Zaraj at five. You know, they had four Four, four, uh, four three-set matches at the top of the lineup against this UCF team. So, power rankings right now, given what you've seen uh, for this Pac-12, USC, UCLA, Stanford, and Cal. How do you see them all sitting right now in your own power rankings? Yeah, I mean, obviously, USC is way up there. Um, so, they're number one. Number two, man, I mean, I wanted to put, but coming into the kickoff weekend, I would have put UCLA there. I, I think... They may still be there. Stanford is cl- – I mean, UCLA, Stanford are, are neck and neck, I think. I mean, that match is, is probably a toss-up. I think Keegan Smith – I know he lost, but we, we know how good this guy is. Obviously, he's going to win a bunch of matches. You know, he matches up with, with Geller, and, and that's a match that I'd, you know, I'd love to watch. So, um, I think that could be a toss-up. So, for me, UCLA, Stanford – you know, two, three in whatever order you want to put them in right now. And then Cal would be the fourth um, just because, again, they confirmed what I already knew about them, and that's they can't win the big match. You know, they're they're talented. Their roster's good. I really want to like the Cal team, but year after year, they just they can't get it done. So they they confirmed what I already knew about them. So they're they're behind. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, and your power rankings show me what I expected, um, which is that the gap between UCLA and Stanford I don't think is that big this year. Uh, Yeah, and so that's just another one of those things to monitor, and it'll be great to see both of those teams uh, compete at. You know, those are interesting floating 10 through 12 seeds at this national indoor. So, again, we will learn so much more when we get there. Of course, the other teams joining these squads at the indoors, the top seeds that had quite a bit of comfort throughout their ITA kickoff weekends. Uh, Ohio State moving on comfortably. Texas, Florida, USC, Texas A&M, UNC, TCU. Uh, None of them really getting pushed. Maybe one or two of them went to a 4-1 margin, but none of them even pushed to 4-2 or greater. I I mean— we're going to talk about these teams all season, and if you want to hear our extended thoughts, go talk, check out our College Contender Series. We talk to about all of these teams, talk to the coaches of all of these teams, except for Texas A&M. Uh, let's start with you, Chris, and then Matt. Did you learn anything new about these teams, anything lineup-wise particularly stick out? Well, well so Texas A&M, I think we saw, we, we learned that they're, they're a pretty deep team. Um, they've got, you know, they played different lineups, both days, um, you know, we didn't see what what we expected to be. Uh, you know, come come the serious matches for A and M, we expected we knew the top three in some order, which we got to see what that order was this weekend. Was uh, you know Aguilar, Vachero, and and Hattie Habib, uh, and I think they played them as Vachero one, Aguilar two, and Habib three, but. Uh, and then we expected uh, Barney Smith at four. We didn't see Barney. I, I, I think uh, I understand he's pretty banged up right now. So we got to see a mix of other guys. We knew, you know, we also expected Noah Schachter at five. And then the question was, hey, who plays six? They've got all kinds of options. Well, they gave everybody playing time. They played Pierce Rollins. They played Stephen Storch. They played Guido Marson. Uh, and, and all those, you know, they all fared well. Now, you know, unfortunately, uh, kind of like what the point Matt made with Baylor, 
you know, they didn't really get pushed that much. Although I will say that that final match that they won 4-0, you know, they got doubles one, two, and three, but, and I don't remember what the scores were, but I know four, five, and six were all in third sets. And I think all on serve and two of them fairly late. I think one, maybe at four all, I don't, I don't recall, but, uh, but those that, that could have gotten tight had they, you know, had they not cleaned up at one, two, and three like they did. But again, yeah. uh, you know, they're that's what we expect out of them is solid, solid up top. We I expect expect them to be five deep, and the question is who plays six. I actually think based on what we saw this weekend uh, that Pierce Rollins probably ends up being that guy at six. Yeah, and we'll get to see Texas A&M play Tulsa, play Texas Tech this weekend. So two matches where they'll certainly have the opportunity to flex their lineup should they so choose. Um, Matt, I, again, we're going to talk about these top seeds so often. So any final thoughts from you on no, that? No, I don't think so. I mean, everybody pretty much rolled. You know, I, I didn't there, – there's nothing that I saw that was, you know, either alarming or – you know, really noteworthy. So I'm good with it. Let's get to the actual national indoors in, in Madison and, and we'll go from there. I will tell you this, the thing I saw this weekend, my national indoors favorites right now are the UNC Tar Heels. I mean, they didn't even play Seguin yep. in their first match and you just look at the depth and it's like, oh, you can just slide Sondergaard at six. Sure, like Peck at four uh, or Peck at three or uh, Cernok at three, Peck at four, you know, Kiger at five. That's fine. How about that and doubles wise, you know. No, it's just scary. And then it's like they when they actually want to play, it's Blumberg, Seguin, Rinky, Cernok, Peck, Kiger, and you're just like, oh my god, like that is that's a ridiculous amount of talent. Those are now, I, with all due respect to Florida, with all due respect to all of these talented teams, that's my favorite heading into the national indoors. They looked scary good uh, this weekend, and you know the good news is for us, we have a few more matches to watch before the indoors take place. Of course, we will do a national indoors preview when that draw comes out. But you look at the matches we have this week. Of course, coming to Michigan TCU, but we've also got uh, Texas A&M. I mentioned versus Tulsa, Illinois coming to Duke. You know, taking on Maddie's brother's team uh, in Durham. We've got Oklahoma State taking on a hot old. Miss team. Uh, we've got uh, Tennessee taking on both Georgia State and Mercer. You move through the weekend. Showtime on Saturday. Texas at Ohio State. Florida versus Florida State. Again, TCU, Michigan. We have, uh, I believe, uh, Baylor versus Arkansas as well. You look for Sunday for the week, uh, the cap at the end. Uh, Texas Tech going to Texas A&M. Oklahoma taking on Kentucky. UCF going to Virginia. That's a dangerous match. A lot of fun weekend this, uh, a lot of fun matches this week. Obviously, the one on everyone's mind, Ohio State taking on Texas. We can talk about that for two seconds. Uh, Matt, what do you expect to see? And then Chris, your thoughts as well. Yeah, I mean, I expect a good match. I mean, Ohio State's at home. They're so good in Columbus, man. I, I just... I don't know. I mean, for me, and, and we'll get, I'm, I'm not even going to say it because I think this is going to be our next little segment here, but, but I almost want to pick Texas, but I don't think I can do it. Picking against Ty Tucker at home indoors in Columbus is a bad idea. Um, so I'm expecting a very tight match, but I think Ohio State might pull it out in the end. Chris, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm with Maddie. There's no way I'm picking against Ohio State. <laughs> it's just—it's a bad choice. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, you got to You've got to think that with with you know everything that Texas brings. If you're a Texas fan, you like your chances. But yeah, I I just I don't see I don't see how you how you pick them. I mean, they just Ohio State just it'll be it'll be a huge win. A bigger win. In my mind, a bigger win to win indoors in Columbus than it was to win at Gainesville. Yeah, I, I think for me, the most important part of that matchup is to see what Ty Tucker goes with in a crunch time match. Is Trotter going to come out? Is Boulez going to come out? Is uh, Or not Boulez, excuse me, but at the bottom of the lineup, is he going to go with Cash? Is he going to go with Lucheng? Uh There's so many different options we are waiting to see. Is he going to go with McNally Cash at the top of the lineup, or is he going to split them up as well? Uh, it'll just be nice to see Ty Tucker tested, and it's going to be fun to see these freshmen for Texas once again, another 
hostile environment. You play in Gainesville. You play in Columbus to start uh, your career. It doesn't get much scarier, uh, more intimidating than that. So for these freshmen, uh, that's going to be really fun to watch. For me, of course, thrilled to see my Wolverines take on David Rodidi and the Longhorns. It's going to be hard for me not to chirp Rodidi. I mean, I'm going to see him in that hat, and how am I not going to say something? (laughs) I mean, you have to. Right, I'll have to say something to him. Um, But all right, last thing I want to do, and we can go through this quickly because, again, it's a lot to talk about after a kickoff weekend featuring 60 of the top teams in the country. Uh, We've finally seen a large enough sample size that I think it is fair for us to give out our top five preliminary rankings thus far. So let's start. Matt, then Chris, and it doesn't have to be long explanations, but just give me your top five. All right, I'll try to go brief here, and I'm going to start out with an honorable mention at number six. Quickly, Ohio State, okay? And, and I want to put them in the top five, but I just can't do it yet. If they beat Texas, they will jump into the top five. Number five for me is Florida. Yes, I know they lost to Texas um, at home, but to me, this team is just going to be a perennial top five team all year. I'd feel awkward about removing them just by losing to Texas. So I've got Florida at five. I've got Baylor at four. And again, we didn't learn that much about Baylor. So I think with a full healthy roster, you know, going into indoors with Brooksby in there, with Boynton in there, this could be the number four team. Number three, I've got USC, Southern Cal. Um, Again, really, really good team. Um, I like everything about them. I I think they're above uh, Baylor and Florida at this point. I've got them in there at three. Number two, North Carolina. Um, We just talked about them a little bit. Their lineup is just downright scary. I mean, when they're all playing, they're doubles, they're singles. There are no weaknesses. Um, And that's obviously my pick to win the national championship. So I've got them at two. And I think it's disrespectful to put Texas anywhere other than one because they beat Florida. They're the defending national champions. They haven't lost. I mean, I, I think by default, Texas deserves to be at the number one position Um, Now, if Ohio State beats them this weekend, they could slip out of there. But I think at this moment, it's only fair to put Texas, based on everything we've seen, at number one. Those are my top five. Honorable mention, Ohio State at six, just outside. Some of your takes infuriate me, Matt. That one, you're spot on. Could not agree with you more with Texas at number one. I'll give the rest of my lineup in a moment. But, Chris, your thoughts? <laughs> oh, man, you two pansies want to give out participation trophies. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> Texas is getting nowhere near the number one spot in my lineup, which you already know, Gruskin, because you're staring at it right now, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> so am I. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, the, I, I, so my honorable mention – goes to Baylor, who who drops out of my top five this week simply because they didn't show me anything. And yes, they didn't play their lineup, but you know, ifs, ands, and buts. You, you are what you are, and if you don't have the team, you don't have the team. So until they show me the team, they're number six. Uh, Florida, who I had actually outside the top five until until this weekend, and, and that with Baylor, I've got them at five like Maddie does. Um, yeah, it's only one loss and it's only to Texas, but it wasn't a good loss. Uh, and, you know, I, they've got some things to prove still. I expect them to move back up, but given where they're at right now, I think five's justified for them. Uh, four, I've got Ohio State. Nobody's really tested them. We'll see that obviously this week. Um, but I think where, given that they'll be playing, uh, a lot of home matches indoors here early, especially with all the freshmen. It's going to go pretty well for them, uh, and I expect to see them there. I've got Texas at three. I'm still not buying that they're better than North Carolina or USC right now. Uh, yes, they had a great match at Florida. If they if they go in and beat Ohio State and whatever else they've got before indoors, all right, maybe I'll make them number one, but, but not yet. Uh, then I've got USC at number two. Uh, behind it, which, you know, and I think we're all there with, with these two teams, uh, you know, along with Texas up, up at the top and then North Carolina at one. I'm a little, I'm a little iffy on whether North Carolina is super healthy uh, and they didn't have to show that to us, but they also, you know, they didn't get tested and they didn't make it close. So uh, I, I can, I still put them at number one. But I will be interested to see what it looks like when they actually do get tested and how healthy the guys are up top. 
Yeah, you said it all, so I'll just go through mine quickly. I have Florida at number six just because they've lost a match. Baylor at five, they get through, but untested thus far. Uh, We still wait for the Brooksby card. Four, Ohio State, who, uh, you know, they have a ton of options. Three, USC, they did it all this weekend without Brandon Holt. Two, UNC, I mentioned that lineup, scary. And then I agree with Matt exactly. Number one right now, Texas, because they beat Florida. They're the defending national champions. You're number one until someone beats you, even if that is as early as this weekend in Columbia. But all right, that'll do it for the ITA men's kickoff weekend recap. We are so excited to uh, be going to Madison for the men's uh, ITA indoor championships, of course. We will also be there for the women's championships in Chicago in two weekends, and we will be recapping the ITA kickoff women's event uh, earlier, er, earlier, excuse me, later in the week as well. Of course, if you've missed anything going on from the tennis world, this stuff, Australian Open coverage, be sure to go check out our website, crackedrackets.com, for the college coverage. Go check out Chris's collegetennisranks.com. A shout out to our super producers as well, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, who imagine having to balance all the, you know, we try and get these pods ready for you, and they just are firing them out night after night with the f*** of an editing job that they always have to do, so shout out to those guys as always. Uh, Matt, Chris, uh, any final thoughts before we wrap this bad boy up? It was a good weekend, boys. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I just, so I'm glad we're finally here. Great weekend this weekend, and it's, it doesn't stop now. Tennis every weekend. No, exactly. It's college tennis season officially underway. It's a Grand Slam finals weekend. This is the best time to be a ten- college tennis fan. But for my co-hosts, Matt Stachowiak and Chris Hallioris, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, and our entire teams at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Guys, what do we tell the listeners? Hey, 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 Jack. I keep waiting for you to say that's the break, but you guys never break. We appreciate it, and we'll see you all later in the week. Thanks, everyone.